Hey, trust you're doing well. My name is Jeff Fuller, J. Fuller Interviews, J. Fuller Interviews on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, J. Fuller Interviews, and also the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of J. Fuller Interviews on Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts. We believe people's stories matter, so make the time to listen and learn something, unlearn what you thought was right, to relearn what is right, and one with a great story is the one, the only, Coach Adam Hooker. Coach, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, and I just want to jump in right where we were talking off air regarding you came down with COVID last year. I did, yeah. It was uh, we were it was kind of an interesting situation out here in Sterling. So we're central Kansas, and the, the we were in a, had a nice little bubble here for a long time, and, and frankly, the first wave really didn't even hit us too hard, and we we even had youth sports here and, and everything. But that second wave, it came through, and we couldn't quite dodge that one the same, and. Um, obviously, school being back in session, I'm sure was a contributor to that and whatever. But uh, yeah, we uh, we got well into the start of our season, but uh, early November, I, it, it hit me really hard, and and uh, I even ended up life flighted to Kansas City, and and uh, had uh, was down to 20% lung capacity at one point, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a wild uh, wild deal. But it's going to make for great stories for the grandkids, and you know, we're, we're good now. I guess. Well, I was going to ask, how long did it take you to recover? And before you answer, my son, who uh, turned 19 in April, but I guess he was 18, and he came down with COVID, and it was about two and a half days that he felt pretty bad, but it was a few weeks after until he actually felt like he was back to normal. How long did it take you to get your strength back? Well, I, mean, I, I don't know that I'm even 100% yet. Um, I, I definitely see it in my uh, my recovery time is is not, you know, what it used to be. I mean, some of that's just, I'm sure, middle-aged and stressed out and that sort of thing. But um, no, it was, uh, I was laid out pretty bad there for a while. Um, I had a bad case of strep with the COVID initially, and that knocked me out for a couple of weeks and then ended up uh, developing a COVID pneumonia, which was, you know, obviously not what you wanted to hear. And and that led me to being uh, hospitalized there for a while and, and uh, you know, through ICU and all that sort of things. I mean, I was completely down and out for about three or four weeks. And then um, it took me, uh, it was probably some sometime around, you know, mid to late December where I, I got, you know, pretty normal functioning, but uh, definitely fatigued awful fast. And again, my recovery time's a little rough. The mornings are always a little struggle for me these days. And uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing OK, doing well. Uh, strength is back and uh, gained all my weight back and then some. So, <laughs> well, you never sent me that Sterling College sweatshirt. So I'm just wearing a Carolina Tar Heels. I trust that's OK. But uh, talk to me a little bit about coaching during COVID. Uh, we mentioned watching Last Chance You, which I certainly enjoyed. But for you specifically, coaching at Sterling how excited were the guys to be able to play, but were you on pins and needles at least to begin the season? Yes and no in terms of the pins and needles. I'll start start there. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, I would say, you know, there was just so much, uh, so many things out of our control, and we as coaches like to have as much control as we possibly can have <laughs> over a situation, you know. But, um, no, there was there was a lot of uh, variables and, and, and uncertainty, and, and I tried to compel upon my guys daily to be incredibly grateful for, for what we had. And, and, and the reason I say, you know, kind of sort of, as far as, you know, how much anxiety we had, I really felt like our, our administration was, uh, was phenomenal throughout in the sense that we walked a very uh, appropriately fine line between being very responsible, but also being very bold and forward thinking. And we, we, uh, we, we were one of the first schools I heard of that, that announced that we are going to be back in school. We are going to have in, in-person classes, um, tons of protocols in place. And, and we were, you know, again, I said, uh, very responsible with it, I believe. But um, so, you know, with that, I felt better than, than some. Um, and, you know, you saw some, you know, schools closing and I had a good friend of mine whose school closed and he had to find a new coaching job and those types of things. But um, I felt like we were, we were on top of that in a, in a pretty, you know, solid way and, and small colleges needed to be. I mean, it's, it's a important, you know, kind of stressful time for us. You know, we, we're not in the profit business, you know, we're kind of a paycheck to paycheck type of a you know, deal. We're here for the right reasons and it's not to make money. So um, we needed to stay open and we found a way to do it. And, and even though we had some challenges, you know, we were successful with it. I, I hope my guys really understand truly what they uh, achieved this year and, and, and maybe counted their blessings more throughout the year. I, I don't know. You know, hmm. it's like, you know, perspective is such a yeah. powerful and unique thing. And sometimes in the moment, we don't always see it the way we should. And I'm hoping at least at some point they get it. But 
Uh, we actually had our last week of uh, practice last week. We had a little spring practice. And on the last day uh, on Friday, I told him, I said, guys, you, I'm trying to think of a more difficult school year that any kids, you know, whether it's elementary, you know, junior high, high school, college, you name it, any kid has had to deal with in terms of, um, you know, restrictions and interruptions. And that's when I, I really can't think of anything in, uh, in you know, you think back to the turmoil of, you know, the Vietnam era and all that kind of stuff right. that probably didn't interrupt classes too often outside of Cal Berkeley or something. Um, you know, you think you might have to go back to World War II before you had right. maybe as much interruptions. And, you know, and that was obviously a very different time. So you could make an argument that that this year's and even last year's kids that we had a, a, a two year span there that was as difficult on students and student athletes as anybody's seen in 80 years. I mean, it's just, it's pretty extreme. And so I hope that in, in all of their stress and tiredness, and there's, there's a different level of tired that everyone's gone yeah, through yeah. mentally and emotionally and everything. And I hope that they realize, Hey, you know, we're, we're starting to emerge on the other side of this. This is pretty profound. This is something to be very proud of and excited about. And, and that we learn the lessons we need to learn along the way. And we're ready to kind of, you know, start our bold new reality. Yeah, that's good. And uh, to learn those lessons now, it's going to be very impactful for years to come, but also generations as well. Coach Adam Hooker making some time, head men's basketball coach at Sterling College. And uh, Adam, how long have you been at Sterling? Uh, almost exactly two years. Uh, my uh, we, we hit my two-year anniversary of accepting the job. And then my family and I, we moved out officially over Memorial Day weekend. So we're just short of two years as far as being physically here, but on the job for, for two full years now. And I first was introduced to you by Ian Cunningham, who ran the Kenny Anderson Showcase. Talk to me a little bit about how that came your way for you to be a part of the Kenny Anderson Showcase. Sure, um, I'm almost you know positive it was a probably a Twitter connection. Uh, you know, Twitter is a is a awful awful place and a wonderful tool. You know, it's <laughs> um, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, vile that vile gets spewed around there, but um, you know, being able to get connected with Ian and some other great people, um, you know, through that. Um, like I said, tool is uh, something I'm very, very, very happy about. And um, you know, it's it's something that that uh, his mission statement and my mission statement are, are very similar in our passions for small college basketball and just kids in general and and uh, what this uh, what these levels can mean. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so proud to be an NAIA coach. It's absolutely positively my favorite brand of basketball on the planet. And and it's a super high level and and all college levels can play. Every level yeah. can play. And. Uh, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, the bigger schools in, in, in ours is in terms of pure talent and, and basketball is, is not nearly as uh, big a gap as, as people think. But the right. marketing gap is ginormous. Uh, we just don't have that same machine behind us. And so, you know, when you have people like Ian that want to really invest uh, in, in, in presenting opportunities for some kids that may not always get them, but also really speaking uh, and supporting small colleges, you know, it's something that I really appreciate and, and Again, we got a, a shared uh, excitement about you know that process. Now, as I recall, we're relatively close in age. Kenny Anderson, I loved watching him play. I loved watching him take uh, Duke to town and uh, making Bobby Hurley look silly. For you to have opportunity to rub shoulders with Kenny Anderson, was that just surreal or is he just an everyday guy? How long did it take you just to realize he puts his pants on, as they say, one leg at a time? Yeah, no, I mean, that was, uh, I mean, yeah, he's not that much older, but uh, yet at a pivotal age where this game was really starting to, you know, mean more and more to me and, and my awareness of uh, some of the legends around the game at the time, um, it was a very transformational time for me. And, and Kenny was one of my guys. I was one of my heroes at the point. And, and uh, in fact, my first introduction to Kenny was coming out of the elevator at the ho at the hotel with my number seven Celtics jersey. Uh, got a picture with him and got him signed that. So I went full fanboy off the, off the <laughs> off the bat there. But beyond that, then it's just you know it's just a you know, it's just a great guy and, and just another uh, man that's doing things for the right reasons and coaching the same level I am and and taking pride in that. And, and so um, you know we, we went from uh, to, you know. Uh, an idle relationship to, to, uh, you know, a, a colleague relationship pretty fast there. But um, yeah, it's, that it was, that was a, a very cool moment. It's, it's something I've ran into a few times uh, in this business and every once in a while I get a little star eyed still, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to, to, to rub elbows and, and, and be there in the same room with them. Coach, when did you realize that you wanted to become a coach? Really early on. And I ran away from it as long as I possibly could. I mean, mm -hmm. I was literally, 
the guy in the neighborhood that was organizing all the games and, and all that sort of thing, even when I was just a, just a little kid. And it was kind of taking on that, that coaching leadership role. And my very first head coaching job, I was uh, 18 years old and, and I was a senior in high school. And, and my best friend Richard and I uh, you know, decided to, to coach a 16 and under travel baseball team. And, uh, and, and, yeah, it was just, I just knew from you know that point on that that's what I would be doing. Um, but again, like I said, I, I, I tried to run away from it because it wasn't like a choice because I wouldn't choose this business necessarily because it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've got a job with the worst job security in America. Um, it's been you know awful hard on my family and I've got four beautiful kids and a wonderful wife. And so we've had to travel around a lot and build that resume and gone through some very, very lean years talk to any coach. I mean, their, their early stages are very rarely are profitable and um, still not. Um, but it's just one of those situations where it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to choose, but I don't believe I chose it. I believe God chose it for me and put me on this path. And, and I attempted to try to find, I was a sports journalist for a while and try to find different jobs, you know, that were related to sports, figuring I'd kind of have my cake and eat it too a little bit. And it was just a you know a profound thing every single day when I'm writing about somebody else's experience, realizing I was supposed to be on the other side of the line, and and uh, so you know it's uh, we you know we we're here where we are. I'm obviously we eventually you know took that call, and I say we because it was definitely a family decision. But uh, followed the call to coaching, but it was yeah it was something ingrained in me at a very very young age uh, without a question. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I Facebook stalked you. I think we are Facebook friends, so it's okay. But your daughter is a senior in high school. Is this correct? Or one of your children is about to graduate? Yeah. Will she be attending Sterling College and close to home? Or how are you doing as a dad knowing that your kids are uh, growing up? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> you know, I can I can handle the receding hairline and the gray hairs really well, but I'm not having uh, I'm not being able to help my uh, handle my kids getting older very easy. But um, no, she's a senior, and I got a freshman in high school, and a 13 uh, 13 year old and a nine year old, and um, they're they're all doing phenomenally well. But yeah, it's a, it's been a unique thing, you know, just in this recruiting world where. I've been the player being recruited. I've been the coach recruiting, and now I've got a daughter that I'm helping as a dad in that process and all that. It's been, you know, pretty wild experience. And it, it, like anything, it gives you extra perspective, and I think it will make me even a better coach. Uh, but she's decided to go to Mid American Nazarene University, where her uh, mother and I went. So if she couldn't come to Sterling, uh, she picked uh, she picked a great alternative option. So she'll be up there at the alma mater that we uh, love so dearly, and uh, around a lot of fans, uh, friends, and family up there. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. We've uh, been having a lot of really intense conversations with her the last few days. Cause I realized, man, I don't have much time left. You know, I gotta really make sure that I, uh, you know, have done my job as best I can as a dad and, and, and still as much wisdom as I can as she goes off and she'll be gone for two months this summer working at, uh, our family's, uh, the church camp that kids all went to when we were in Colorado. And so she's filling a, fulfilling a dream there. So she's going to spend two months doing that. But I'm going to have a couple of weeks, then she's gone for yeah. two months, and I'll have another couple of weeks, and then she's gone to college. So it's a lot to take in, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to handle it. I'm excited for her. So, Yeah, so a couple, I guess, personal questions. Um, some of your players might just say, why is Coach off today, or why is Coach grumpy, or well, you're me to recruit that you're really trying to get to uh, look at Sterling. But you have home stuff, too. How do you balance that and find that healthy rhythm and let the kids that you're recruiting know, I really care for you. And as a coach, I'm really going to invest into you. But I'm still a dad. I'm still a husband. Yeah, that's a that's a daily question. You know, it's it's something that I'm striving always for balance in all things. I'm a big guy on balance. I, I probably overuse that word a lot and and say all the time we live in a black and white world, but most of it's gray and we've got to find some, you know, some common ground. And um, being able to find balance in my own life, you know, I, I've got to you know, make sure that that's a pursuit. Otherwise, I'm kind of a hypocrite when I'm trying to preach that to other people and so on and so forth. But it's challenging, especially when you're in the first two years of, a, of kind of rebuilding and reshaping a, a program. So, um, you know, it's I, I equate it a lot you know, to people that kind of start in the insurance business. The first two years or so of being an insurance agent is brutal. You don't see your family. You're just constantly sell, 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 sells. And eventually, if you can get the right clientele and get those, uh, you know, contracts in place, you can, you know, have a, have a pretty solid little uh, income and, and, and things will calm down a little bit over time. And, and ideally, you know, that's what you'd want to see uh, in any job, you know, what I'm doing here in coaching, that we can really be a little intense and crazy for you know, a couple of years here, but then get it all you know shifted right and build the right foundation to where we're not rebuilding anything more, we're reloading. You 
now it's a yeah. commonly used term in, in sports. And so these first couple of years, that's been very, very much a challenge. And it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in this office, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, just working on uh, recruiting and Zoom calls and this, that, and the other. Plus, you're trying to work on your own craft and doing clinics and this, that, and the other and working on your playbook and, 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 and talking to great people like yourself and just trying to get, you know, a little bit more intelligent so you can do a better job with what you do. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act, and I'm probably not walking very well uh, most of the last couple of years. But, you know, I did take some time off and, and uh, you know, went and followed, uh, you know, Sir Grace and her team as they walked through the state championship, uh, you know, if you uh, – weeks back and, and just, you know, try to make sure that we're maximizing those, ex, you know, experiences as much as I can. I've got one of my daughters has a little concert tonight. I'll be you know, eager to race to that, but I do, I miss a lot more than I would ever uh, want to miss. But if I'm doing my job the right way, as a coach needs to do, I've got my four kids, but my family's a lot bigger than that. And if, you, yeah. if you're part of my program, you're definitely family for life. And even if it's not always going the well, you know, and, and, and uh, we're not always going to see it eye to eye in, in these, you know, volatile situations that sports can be sometimes but you're still family and and uh you know i i have to to give an awful lot of myself in a lot of different places and so then the other part of that is you know making sure that i'm finding some time to recharge myself because uh, as my we i every tuesday morning we do a fca coaches huddle yeah and our leader um aaron glendini that uh, runs that has been talking a lot lately that, that a lot of that pouring out has to come from the overflow you got to kind of fill the bucket first and and that's something that definitely hit home and i need to do a better job of filling my bucket because I tend to, um, you know, just keep pouring out until the bucket's empty. And then, then what do you do? So right. um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a tricky thing, but something, you know, definitely every single day, there's a lot of choices that have to be made. And as long as I'm doing it, uh, at least with the right principles in mind, then I, I, I trust the, the whole of it all will work out. But. That's really good. Adam Hooker makes some time uh, coach at Sterling college. The second is a two-part question, and how do you not overcoach your kids? And the second part of that question is, especially when they have bad coaches. So how do you not overcoach your kids? And what if they do have a bad coach or a coach that is not as knowledgeable as you? How do you find that healthy rhythm? Well, everybody's more knowledgeable than me. I mean, you just can go sit in the stands and find that out. You know, I've, I've decided that everybody in the world can boil water and coach basketball. So, um, no, it's it's part of that is is trying to get across you know a concept that every style of basketball can win. Right? I've seen Virginia win with a pack line. I've seen Syracuse win with a two-three zone. I was there live when that happened to my Jayhawks in two thousand three. I've seen you know you know. Dean Smith running with some run and jump stuff. Villanova with four out. Bill Self with high low. Every single system will work if you truly adhere to it and buy buy into it and, and, and sell out to it. Um, so some of it's just trying to get that across because our first uh, place we love to attack um, is, is just simple X's and O's. You know, and it's not that simple. Okay, it's more about what we put into that than just what we're running. Um, and then you know, the next it's just uh, trying to understand that not every habit is a bad habit. It's just a different habit. And so it's really critical that we try to find things that fit what we're trying to be. And, and we talk a lot about identity basketball here. We want to play a, a certain style that is representative of the identity that we're trying to create. And that's, that's a difficult thing to get across to, to, to some people. And it's, um, you know, I've, I've got some kids that have come through that are part of great, great programs that have had a lot of success. And so teaching them something new is uh, like, why would I do that? Because, well, it's new doesn't mean that it's going to be bad, bad. You know, and I've had some guys come out of bad programs and, and they're very hungry to learn something new, but then it's an awful lot to learn too. So each kid is coming from a different set of uh, backgrounds. And, and my deal on this is there's a lot of different ways, as I mentioned, to win a ball game, but I've spent the better part of 20 years learning you know, the way that I, I, I do things and, and fine tuning it all the time, but I'm always going to teach what I know best uh, versus being some second rate version of somebody else's system. So you know, I could sit there and, and I was able to observe and, and, and play for and play and coach alongside, uh, you know, just a, a legendary college coach, but I'm not going to run every single thing the exact way that he does, because then I would be a second rate version of himself right. instead of a first rate version of myself. And so it's taken all those influences I've had along the line away and, and trying to fine tune that into some, something that works for us. But then, and then, you know, I mentioned uh, being an insurance salesman. Well, I might as well be a salesman because then it's a matter of selling sure. uh, what I, you know, what we're trying to do to these kids. And there's there's days I feel like I'm failing as a salesman more than I'm fail, failing as a technician, you know, and it's a it's a lot to get that buy in. So we tend to, uh, especially increasingly so over time here is really recruit with an underselling 
um, mentality where we really want to almost scare some guys off and, and, and just be incredibly transparent yeah. and honest with uh, our recruits about just the challenges that, that are in place here. Uh, when I took the job, I was talking on the phone with a colleague out here and, and he's a successful coach, but he once told me, you know, Hey, just tell these kids anything you got to tell them to get them there. Then you'll figure it out. Hmm. And it really bothered me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit the other extreme. I'm like, let's really make sure that we're truly getting everything out. My goal is to spend the next 20 years here right off into the sunset and, and, and do my thing. This is a destination job for me. But my kids only, you know, that we're recruiting only have four years to invest. Right. You know, it's simple supply and demand. My 20 years versus their four years, they have way more at stake than I do. And so I want to make sure that they're as empowered as I possibly can to really understand what they're getting themselves into. And I throw an awful lot of information at them. And, and it's, it's, it's cliche to talk about fit, but it's a big, big, big deal to me. And, and I think it's part of your transfer portal madness that we have going on right now. Some of that it, it is. It's, we've got some generational issues that you know it, we, we'd want to chase greener grass. Right, the grass right. is green where you water your lawn. Uh, but then the other part is there's a lot of coaches that have maybe even for the right reasons in their own justification, but there's been some misleading going on. You know, some of some assurances that they'll throw out there that they assume maybe they'll follow through on, but you can't. I mean, at the end of the day, every coach is going to do what they feel like is is best for the program, regardless of what they told you through the process. So we just put all that stuff out there right right away and make sure uh, that transparency gets through. I mean, it's it causes a lot of anxiety because again we like that control and i and i could probably talk a few kids into doing some things and be a little bit more pressure uh driven with those things but i just uh, mental health is at a, a, a i think an all-time critical uh spot right yeah. now with uh, student athletes across the world and so i just want to be you know delicate with that and make sure that they really truly understand and this is what we have to offer as a college as a program as a man um, and if this fits you great and if it doesn't forget I exist and move on to something better, you know, and that, and that's something that it's hard to do. And we, we, uh, we pass on some really good guys from time to time, but I really want to build it the right way. So we don't have uh, quite the transfer madness here because you know, we've been a little bit more delicate with it. Really good. Uh, coach hooker on Twitter. It's at coach hooker, uh, men's basketball coach at Sterling college in Kansas being an NAIA school for the casual listener. What are the subtle differences between NCAA and the NAIA? Sure. Um, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got some colleagues at, at the NAI level that have knocked off some D1s and, and shown out there. And we always get excited about that because it's, it's good marketing for us. But um, for the most part, we I tend to uh, use, you know, this kind of comparison that we're, we're, we're a lot more akin to, to D2 than, than most people realize. Um, I would say that the, the majority of the high end D2s, you're talking about your Northwest Missouri State and those, you know, man, they beat us by a million. Um, they're a lot better than us. Um, the top end of uh, and the bottom end of uh, D2, it would be a little bit above the bottom end of NAI in the sense that, you know, they've got a lot better resources uh, across the board at the D2 level. But there is a lot of similarities in the very core and heart of the NEI and the D2 level, and even some bottom, you know, D1s. A lot of people don't realize how many D1s there are. I mean, there's right. 4,500 kids playing D1, and, and a lot of them would struggle to find playing time at some of our uh, NEI schools. And so there's a lot of blurred lines in there more than you would think. Um, but again, it comes down to just fit and what you're trying to get out of that experience and, and whatever. But uh, it's it's big time basketball. I mean, the NAIA is is older than the NCAA. Our tournament's older than the NCAA. Um, we have a lot of a lot of things going for us. That we just don't have quite the the, the PR uh, you know sure, machine sure. You know, behind that. And, and so you know some people don't get it. But there's literally nothing in the world better than the NAIA basketball tournament to me, and it's pretty extraordinary. But you know, I was. You know, Hutchinson, Kansas is 20 minutes down the road from us. And I was at the D1 National Championship for JUCOs, uh, you know, last week and or two weeks ago. And phenomenal, phenomenal basketball and just great coaches, great players. I've watched D3 JUCOs. I've watched D3 NCAA. I've watched, uh, you know, a, you know, U, ACCA, USCAA. I mean, there's just there's so much great basketball out there. And I just wish more people were exposed to that. And instead of professional cup stacking on ESPN, they'd actually, you know, play some of these right. other events. It just kind of drives me nuts, you know, but um, it's just, it's great basketball out there. And I'm really proud to be a, be a part of the NAI and, and wish more people really understood uh, the values and, and, and the just extreme level of talent that we bring to the table. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that the NAIA went from two divisions to one. Has that been good, beneficial? How's that affected you and uh, your coaching? Uh, it's good and bad. I mean, I'll be honest. I love the two divisions myself. 
Um, I, there, you know, like I said, like the bottom half of the NEI, um, there are some some schools that just, re, you know, in terms of just pure resources, are going to struggle to be as as competitive as as, yeah. uh, as I wish they could be. And and being in two divisions allowed, I think, a little bit more opportunities for a, a wider range of schools. But um, I think our conference right now is the strongest it's ever been, at least in my knowledge and, and, and memory and history. And um, you know, we we had two teams in the Sweet 16 this year as, as one division. And we had two teams in the Sweet 16 last year when they were division two. Um, and we had the number one team in the country two years before that. And, and, and so I feel like my, you know, our, our conference is really growing. I think uh, we have some phenomenal new upgrades in our facility here and where we are as a program. I'm really excited about what we're, you know, what we're bringing back and bringing in. And, and so I think we're going to be have a chance you know, ourselves and, and as a conference to be highly competitive, you know, even as one division, but, I do. I, I liked the two division thing, but um, you know, maybe there's some strength in numbers, and we can do a better job again. Maybe some of those marketing elements with the NEI just to be a little bit more cohesive with one. Um, it's it's something I've I've got some apprehension uh, with, and but at the end of the day, I mean, it is what it is, and and so we're going to move forward uh, and do the best we can. I know, you know, when we were at uh, when I was at Mid America and the Heart of America Conference decided to go from D two to D one on their own. Um, you know, we had some concerns and we, and, and, and that squad went to the final four of the first year. I mean, so, um, there's phenomenal D2 squad, uh, teams at this, at this level that emerged into one division just fine. In fact, the number one seed in our tournament this year was a previous D2. And, and so I, I think we're proving that, you know, there's a lot of quality, uh, basketball across the board. There, there is a little biased in the, in the rankings every now and then, but, um, I think if we keep, uh, keep on the path that we showed out uh, in this, this past season, we'll, we'll all be just fine. And I think I mentioned the last time you were on that my uh, brother-in-law graduated from Cornerstone University, and they actually have three uh, Division Two NAIA national championships. And he was just talking about just the recruitment is difficult, especially whether it's, well, wherever you are, but for them being in Michigan, and there's a lot of different schools recruiting. For you, you mentioned Zoom calls, travel's been somewhat limited. Has it been somewhat easier with Zoom and video calls, or do you always catch that glitchy Wi-Fi and uh, it's just misinterpreted? What's that experience been like for you? I mean, it's a, it's a somewhat of a mixed bag, but I've said this a few times recently. This time last year, I was so stinking sick of Zoom, I, I, I was done with Zoom. Um, it's a uh, we had, you know, Zoom, Zoom fatigue was a real thing and yeah. it's all we could do. I mean, I lived in my home office, you know, all day long, every day I'd, I'd wake up, crawl to bed, go at the computer and I'd get done and I'd crawl back into bed. And it was just all we did every day. And it was just a, it was a bit much, you know, I, I like to get on the road. I'm a, I'm a little bit more old school. I like to actually get into the gyms and, and do a little bit more grassroots type of stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, this time last year I was, I was, I was appreciative of it, but I got real sick of it. This time this year, I'm actually loving it. It's a, it's a great opportunity for me just to get face to face with some guys. Like I had a great you know conversation with a young man from San Antonio this morning and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, phone calls are great. Um, FaceTime makes you dizzy, uh, but a zoom or something like that, I can still get face to face. I can read facial expressions. I can use my own nonverbal skills and, and connect in a little bit different way and just get some of that you know, information out there. So I, I still want to get in the car and get on the road every chance I can, but, but I've really, really learned to appreciate zoom and can't really imagine, uh, going through what we've gone through these last two recruiting classes without it, you know, man, it's just been an absolute lifesaver, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it, no, I think it's great. So a question it's not pointed or I don't even know how to express it. I'm just going to ask it is Sterling a religious school, a Christian school. And the question with that is I think sometimes that could be an advantage with recruiting because I know uh, for my brother and sister, they went to a Nazarene school. I think there's five uh, Nazarene colleges across the country. And so if you grew up in that denomination or in that, you know, um, that way of thinking, those were valid options. So it really wasn't as regional. It was more find a school that suits you. But for you with Sterling, do you reach outside of just the area code, so to speak, or do you get to um, really reach out because there is a connection to the faith and doctrine or the belief setting at Sterling. Sure. No, we are. We're, we're you know, very uh, proudly a Christian uh, institution. Uh, we're founded Presbyterian. We don't have any affiliation with the Presbyterian church anymore, but it's still something that's uh, very much a, at the center of all we do and our decision-making and our mission statement and uh, something I'm very, very proud to be a part of. And like I said, I went to Mid-American Nazarene University. So uh, I had that background with myself and I benefited greatly from a small Christian uh, college uh, experience. And 
Um, I didn't handle everything great uh, off the bat in, in college, but I had a, at a college that had a lot of people there for the right reasons that really allowed me to, to crash and burn in a beautiful way and, and were able to put you know the pieces back together and, and uh, you know the rest is history and it worked out great. But And so I, 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 when I'm recruiting here, I recruit out of a, my own personal experience. Again, it's my favorite brand of basketball and it's my favorite brand of education because it's something that just you know did so much for me. So, um, you know, I, yeah, we, we, we're very uh, real with that. I, I think there's a lot of schools out there that call themselves Christian uh, colleges that don't necessarily make that a, a major um, you know factor in, in a lot of their day-to-day. -day. And you know, we, we play some of those teams and you can tell that, you know, there's a difference there. And something my athletic director ta uh, talked to me uh, during the interview process that I loved. There's a lot of schools on their website. It says Christ-centered. Okay. And, th and that's great. Uh, but, but the word that he used was we're Christ-led. It's something that, you know, is really, truly, you know, it's still a, a thing that's happening. It's, it's moving. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not just something that's stagnant and just in the middle. It's, it's at the forefront of everything we do. So I think that's great. And I, I think, yeah, there's some great benefits from that. If, if, if that fits uh, kind of what you're looking for now, unlike, uh, you know, the Nazarene, uh, you know, colleges and that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, I know because I, I go to a Nazarene church in Hutch right now. Uh, one of our, you know, one of the kids there got a pretty nice little extra bonus on his scholarship because he was a Nazarene kid going to a Nazarene yeah. college. We don't have that, you know, so we're non-denominational at, at the moment and, and we don't really receive any money from, from the churches like that. So, um, you know, we don't get, a, you know, any extra financial boost or really an extra recruiting boost directly from any denomination. But I still think it's advantageous in the sense that I can really sell the morals and the ethics and the and, and what the vision is of our our uh, college and what we're trying to do. And we're not just a bunch of you know people here just trying to teach. We're here truly called to this profession and trying to make a difference. And I don't think we get extra you know, you know real preachy here. We have a you know people from all walks of, of faith and life. And um, I think that it's an, that's an opportunity for I think you can do as much witnessing just in the way you live your life than you can ever just kind of you know beating people over the head with the Bible on that. So just to have some people that maybe have some distrust of Christianity, but still can be here and see, you know, just kind of how that influences our day-to-day -day lives and, and, that, and, and the way we want to spill into the students here. And so it's something that I think we do a great job of and, and really proud to be a part of. That's really good. A couple questions, then we'll get you out. Adam Hooker makes some time. Men's basketball coach at Sterling College at Coach Hooker on Twitter. And, uh, Basketball. You said your first coaching gig was when you were 18 and you coached baseball for 16 and under. Was baseball your first love or what led you to the great sport of basketball? Yeah. I mean, I'm a total sports nerd. I mean, I just, I love it all. Uh, but yeah, baseball was my, my first love. Uh, you know, I grew up, grew up in the, the heyday of, of George Brett and the Royals there in Kansas city. And it was, uh, an unbelievable obsession of mine. And, and I, you know, I definitely bleed blue and uh, love baseball. I was, uh, I was an okay pitcher, uh, screwed up my elbow and that was kind of into that. And, and I could do nothing else on a baseball diamond worth anything. I was a terrible hitter and I was scared of the ball. So that was, it was, it was bad news. You know, um, most of my baseball uh, career was, you know, uh, you know, using the, the brick wall of the, of the townhouses as the backstop and the train tracks across the field as, as the home run line. And, and we took a lot of bad bounces out there, but um, I, I love, I absolutely love the game, but basketball was always the one that I had the higher acuity for. And, and, is in, and definitely, uh, you know, I think my better sport as a player, but definitely you know, beyond that as a coach. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I love it all. I mean, it's, I've literally played everything, but soccer and, um, I peaked on the fifth grade playground with soccer, but it, you know, I just uh, truly love uh, just athletics in general and what the challenges that they put in there. And, and, and again, that's a word that I just wish we would not shy away from so much these days because um, I want people to face challenges within these sports. And, and it's a, it's a profound opportunity to grow during struggle. And there's just not enough kids being allowed to struggle and fail these days. And I don't know if I ramble so much in these conversations. I may have said this last time or not, but I was listening to an interview with Buck Showalter years ago. And, uh, you know, he was the manager of the, of the Orioles at the time. And it was right before the MLB draft. And they were asking him, do you like multi-sport athletes? And he goes, I only draft multi-sport athletes. And, he's, and they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't want somebody to just specialize in baseball. And he's like, well, if they've only played baseball and we're thinking about drafting them, they're obviously really, really good at that, which tells me that they haven't failed enough yet. Yeah. I want them to have had some bad sports some sports that they're not all that well in because we need them to learn how to fail. And as we know, especially in baseball, I mean, there's no sport that's more, uh, you know, 
centered around failure. I mean, if you strike out, you know, or make an out seven out of 10 times, you're, you're an all-star. And, and so, you know, it's something I think it's just really a profound thought. We need people to, to, to fail. And I've said this to some recruits here lately and talking about Sterling college and, and other you know, institutions like ours, it's a wonderful place to fail. I, mean, mm-hmm. I want you to struggle here. I want you to grow here and I want you to be a better basketball player when you're done, but I you know, care far more about you being a better man when you're done. Adam, how tall are you? Six, three. Six three. What position did you play? In high school, I was a I was a little bit more of a stretch four, and then uh, when I got to college, I realized I was short and uh, I had to had to learn some ball skills and get the ball in the wing a little bit more. What was more difficult to learn when you played college, ball handling or shooting? Well, I, shooting was my thing, so it was definitely ball handling. I was a terrible ball handler. Uh, I did a good job of faking it sometimes, but uh, part of my um, strategy in terms of being a pretty aggressive man-to-man coach a lot of the times is uh, just I knew what uh, what pressure could do to me at times you know but uh, no I was not a good ball handler that took me a long time to kind of figure out some things and learn how to simplify and um, you know I was I, I, I I'm not a big fan of over dribbling now um, and, and I learned early on that I definitely couldn't over dribble myself and so um, you know, working off uh, off the pass and in space is definitely something that uh, I needed to do, and, and we as a program want to do. And but yeah, ball handling was that was a tricky deal. I was not very good at that. Yeah, I was told I might be able to beat one person off the dribble, but when I tried to beat two, I would find a seat on the bench. So that's uh, the type of player I was. Hey, so I was talking to a coach the other day, and um, if I asked you this before, maybe you can clarify it today. How do you teach vision? Is this just something God-given where people know and react to their players and chemistry so they make a no-look pass look fancy, but in their mind it was just the right play to make? How as you coach teach vision, or do you just recruit players that automatically have it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some guys that just have it. I mean, that's, that's one of those X-factor things that you talk about. I mean, um, you know, basketball IQ is a huge, huge thing. Um, I'll be honest, uh, there's there's times um, I've seen this in some players and I even have experienced this from time to time in some pickup games, that sort of thing, that when you have a superior IQ, it can be great. It also can be very frustrating because you can see things and where they should be and where they're going to be before they even know it. But if they don't know it, too, it doesn't really matter. So a guy with great vision, but uh, without a team that understands how to play without the ball, doesn't really mean much. It's just a wasted skill. Um, so, you know, part the overall thing is if you've got a team that has a high basketball IQ that understands how to read and react, uh, that allows some of that X factor and that vision to come into play a little bit more. And that's something we definitely need to do a better job around here. Um, you could do your best to teach it and put different systems in place that encourage you to have a better understanding of what your teammates are going to do. Um, you know, they, uh, again, we're, we're, we do a lot of pass and cut, pass and screen away. You know, that's something we do a ton of. And so, you know, if I know that I just received that pass. That guy's probably just going to do one of two things. It makes it a little bit more uh, inclined that I'll be able to find them where they're going to be. And that helps, uh, you know, see some of those things. But, um, but yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to teach. Uh, I mean, it really is, but you try to teach, you know, the kids even just how to be a better student of the game and understand how to flow with some things. That's one thing we've learned a lot in the film room, just even as a coaching staff this year that we spent a lot of time teaching in there. And then we realized that, maybe some of those guys weren't learning enough because they didn't really truly understand what it meant to be a student hmm. of the game. So now we taught some study skills, if you will, and some different perspectives, just as we would any other classroom. And we were probably a little too one dimensional uh, for a while in there and started diversifying some of the interactions uh, with that. And, um, and then the other big thing to me is just getting kids to have a little level of self-awareness and understand what their strengths are and what the strengths of their, their teammates are as well. We have too many that are tr- uh, too busy trying to be, everything and and prove that they can do everything and i would much rather have a guy that's great at three things than mediocre at six and that also simplifies the game and allows yeah. guys in the flow a little bit better together it's an analogy i use a lot is that as a baseball one if i go to a royals game and i'm watching maybe danny duffy on the on the mound he's probably got eight or nine or ten pitches he could throw at a plus level but he's only going to use three or four in that game because he's going to get the best hitters in the world he's right, going right. to watch his best um, and it's the same like, just because like, if I've got a player and I say, you know, I'm definitely not talking about anybody in particular. Um, let's say I've got a guy that's a great rebounder and a great defender, but can't shoot a lick. I wish he would just really embrace how great he is at what he is great at yeah. and not worry so much that I don't think he's great at the other thing. Um, because then you just kind of miss out on some things. You know, John Wooden famously said, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. 
And if guys really understand who they are and they're throwing their three best pitches and you get to know what your teammates uh, strengths truly are and you play a little bit more of a simplified brand that allows some of that instinctual stuff and that X factor and that vision and those intangibles that are hard to teach allows those to actually come into play a little bit more because the game isn't quite as complicated for, for those guys. And, um, and, and that's, that's something I feel like we just, even just as a basketball culture need to do a better job of just simplifying some things. I mean, we, we bounce a silly orange ball and put it through net. It's not that hard. Let's, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, play through some strengths and simplify things and just go do what we do. Uh, it's real good. I think it was Pat Riley that he was open for a game-winning shot, and uh, they passed him the ball, and of course he missed it. And uh, the coach said, "Riles, why'd you shoot that shot?" And he said, "Coach, I was open." And the coach told him, "You were open for a reason." And um, that's that, that'll happen. That'll take place. And just trying to teach point guards like just because a player's open, you have to know if they can catch or if they're in a position to do something with the basketball. And that's um, that's fun to see finally click, but I just remember watching film. Uh, the coach said, what are you watching? I'm like, the ball. And like, you are not watching film correctly. You need to see everything not happening uh, right. with the basketball. But a um, couple questions, I won't let you go. And thanks, Adam, for making the time. I could talk hoops with you all day. But um, if you were starting a pro team, so we're not talking about your college players, we're talking about a pro team, would you begin with a point guard or a stretch four or a point forward? Well, see, that's, then you, you complicated with that last comment. I, I, you know, if it's just the stretch four or the point guard, I'm probably going to go with, with the point guard. I mean, that's, that's your, that's your general still. And even though I'm one that tends to think that, that sometimes point guard can be a little um, overhyped in the sense that at least in our system, anyway, once you make that first pass, yeah. you're just one of the guys, you know, um, so if you're not really necessarily doing a whole lot to have to break down pressure a lot and whatever, I mean, just in terms of a pure skill set within our system, it's not that critical to be a super traditional guy. Um, but it's more the the other roles that go with point guard that I think matter in there more than anything. I mean, other than uh, quarterback, I don't think there's any role in all sports that's more essentially uh, responsible for leadership than a point guard is expected to be. So, yeah, I, I would go there. Um, and, and then point forward, I would throw in the same, you know, same realm. I mean, if you look at guys like, you know, Magic or even, you know, Ben Simmons and those guys that are not your real traditional mold physically, I mean, they're, they're serving the same purpose and that sort of thing. Um, you know, if you're a stretch four and you have nobody that can get you the ball, you're going to struggle, you know. And yeah, so yeah. Um, I love shooters and I'll, I'll take all of them I can get. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that point guard. So, if, you know, if, if Kenny Anderson wanted to come play for me, you know, that'd be great. Now, I think uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, his coach said that he was the top or the best point guard in history of basketball. Maybe they said he was number two after Magic Johnson. Does Russell Westbrook crack your top three or top five point guards of all time? Oh, man, see, that's tough. You know, it's I, I, I'm actually a big Russ fan in terms of I don't think he gets nearly enough credit because he's a little bit of a of a, of a grizzly guy, not the most uh, engaging personality at times. Um, my goodness, I saw a stat today that if he didn't get another point, rebound, or assist the rest of the year, he would still average a triple-double. I mean, the guy is just uh, – he's, he's unbelievable. Um, you know, the question, though, is sometimes is – are some of those stats a little hollow? I know that was always one thing that plagued, you know, Rafael Palmero when he was with the Rangers, put up insane stats, but they never won a whole lot. So he never got a lot of credit with some of those things. But, man, I, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say if he's top three or top five. I mean, the, the, the numbers are ridiculous. I love his tenacity and his toughness and his physicality. Um, I put him, you know, in a sort of similar mold of somebody, you know, like, you know, Allen Iverson, who I just absolutely loved to death and was such a huge AI guy, uh, you know, seeing a guy at his stature put his body on the line the way he did every single night and just that fierce competitiveness. Um, I, I love I love a guy that has great, you know, uh, a, a beautiful, smooth game and has the beautiful shots and all. Don't get me wrong, but I've always had an extra uh, soft spot in my heart for just those grizzly guys that just lay it out every single night and, and, you know, Russ does that. Allen Iverson did that. And, you know, one of my all-time favorite Jayhawks was Jared Hass and, you know, wrote a book called Floor Burns. And it was the most perfect title of any book ever because the dude just lived on the floor all the time. And just those types of guys. And even though I hated him in college because he was a Big 12 rival, Marcus Smart and those types of guys, I just 
I love them. And you can't have enough of those guys on your team. You know, you hate to coach against them, but you love to have them uh, with you. So I've, I'm a little bit more pro rust than a lot of guys are. I don't know if I'd quite put them in the top five just yet, but, um, but I would, I would happily uh, coach a team with Russ Westbrook on it. <laughs> So then I'm going to uh, go on an assumption that you've followed or familiar enough with the Boston Celtics. They're like Jekyll and Hyde. And I really do like Brad Stevens, whether it's load management or Kemba's knee really is that bad. If you were coaching the Celtics, what would you do? Or if you were consulting Brad Stevens, what, what would you say and do to make it? There you go. To, to get things right <laughs> for playoff time. Yeah. Jeez, oh, man. I wish I knew. That'd be a... Uh... I'd be, uh, you know, doing a lot better in my own job if I had all those answers. It's a tricky thing. A lot of it is it has been injuries. I know, you know, Kimba's obviously struggled with that knee and it's just such a you know pivotal point. He's not at the same place he was a few years ago in terms of being just a major volume scorer and, and he struggled some, but he's still a great personality and leader and vet on that team that they need. And, um, you know, you have Tatum dropping 60 the other day and, and Brown has just been unreal this year. But, and, and that's the confusion is like, you know, you've got these superstars everywhere and, 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 you know, Rob Williams has really taken another step forward and you're just like, why is this not working? Uh, there is, there's something, there's something to miss there chemistry wise. I'm not ready to put that on Brad Stevens. Uh, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know, you know, about coaching and, and definitely one of my coaching heroes. And, and so I, I, if anybody can get figured out, it will be him. Cause if you look at what he did with some of those early teams when he had no stars and they were going off to, you know, Eastern conference finals. And now he's got a team full of stars. It's just going to be, uh, one of those things where he's, you know, the, these guys are all growing at such uh, crazy rates and, and and that's a hard thing to manage. And he's never had to manage a team quite like this. And so he's growing too. And But I have no uh, no concerns whatsoever about him maintaining a hunger within his coaching profession that he's still a student of the game. So I think we just kind of need to survive this year a little bit. And, and, and Coach Stevens will grow and these guys will understand a little bit better who they are, which, again, we talked about that chemistry deal if you don't know uh, the guys around you well enough, that messes with chemistry. But they're all growing so much that they might not be the same guy today that they were three weeks ago. So it's harder to maintain that chemistry. I talked about that a lot when I was uh, teaching uh, middle school. All these personalities are growing at such dramatically different rates. And so you have so many kids that sometimes have conflict and, and, and friend groups come and go and break up. And so many people want to take that personal, but no, they're just all developing at different stages. And so it's just not going to be that simple. Uh, and I think it, it, the Celtics are uniquely that way as a, as a basketball team right now, just in terms of their individual growth and even the coaches growth, uh, they're all just kind of adapting and changing. And, and it's going to take a little time to figure that out. And if they can stay together and keep their heads on uh, straight that, you know, maybe next year will be the year that is a little bit more of, a, of an impactful experience for them. And again, it's uh, Coach Hooker on Twitter, at Coach Hooker. Adam Hooker makes some time. Head men's basketball coach at Sterling College. Make sure you check them out. Check out the Kenny Anderson Showcase. Ian Cunningham, a good friend of both of ours, and uh, doing a great job putting on that free basketball showcase for uh, some guys that need those opportunities. Adam, last question. You mentioned challenges. Why don't people embrace challenges as opportunities more or why don't they view them as opportunities, but they see them as stop signs instead? I mean, I'll start with just, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what's going on with the kids today. So I'll get the be off, uh, get off my lawn guy here real quick. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people that want to criticize uh, the, uh, the younger kids these days uh, for some of that mentality. Um, it's not their fault. It's my generation's fault. Okay, hmm. we're the ones that raised them. Um, I, I I think my generation was probably the first that had two working parents. We had a lot of latchkey kids. A lot of us, you know, kind of spent a lot of time, you know, alone and, and and grew up with the neighborhood kids, and that's you know a big part of you know what shaped us. And and I think most of my generation probably had very very good intentions that hey let's really make life easy for our kids. You know, we've learned this great work ethic from our parents and we're going to work really hard. We're going to provide all these phenomenal opportunities for our kids and we're going to make their lives as simple as possible. Um, it, it, it's a noble intent. It just doesn't work. And so what we get is a situation where we have a lot of people that really do struggle with challenges and, and we want that microwave society to, to work on our, on our behalf, you know, and that's a, that's a related part of it. I think too, is, 
modern technology was designed to make life easier so we would have more time to rest. Instead, it's allowed us to do more. And so we just do more and we do more and we do more and we want to move fast and move fast and move fast. And so we want things to happen now. We want it to happen quickly. We want to just do more and more and more. It ain't that simple. Sometimes it's a long process. You know, we, we've got to be able to understand how to get through that struggle and that challenge, but it's not the way we're wired these days. And so I'm hoping that we can start to shift that a little bit. And I think those that go through some of the unique challenges of athletics, that's one of the reasons I'm passionate about what we do in sports is we can, in a microcosm and a more safe environment, teach some of those things because you're going to fail. I mean, it's it's a really, really hard thing to win a college basketball game. And, and so you're going to learn how to, you know, to deal with failure. Um, but it's it, it's going to be uh, – we learned in the second semester when we started winning a few games, uh, we handled adversity really well, but we didn't handle success well. Hmm. And that's part of it too. Okay, now, we, you know, now we've had success, so now it's easy. No, it's still hard. Right. It was really hard what we just did. That was really a big thing that we just did. Let's not lose that edge. And so it's just uh, it's one of those daily affirmation type of things where you've just constantly got to uh, look at that challenge as an opportunity and take joy in the struggle. Struggle is where the growth is. And and there's just uh, there's a lot of growth being stunted right now by uh, you know trying to avoid those things. And and that is the other half. I've already taken a lot of that uh, blame as coaches, but that is the other half of that transfer portal right now. I want it now. I want it to be easy. I want it to be guaranteed. And, and even just some of that's just the natural uh, anxiety that's in uh, very prevalent in 2020, 2021. We want, we love the idea of more assurances, even though they're, you know, not real, uh, really, it's not reality. I mean, even if somebody says, yeah. you know, there's, there's no way that it can be a true thing. So, um, yeah, I, I wish we could really learn to take on head on those challenges and really appreciate because it, it is, it's an opportunity. It's, it sounds super cheesy, but you know, there's no light without darkness and there's, yeah. there's no success without failure. And, and we need to really fight through those things and, 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 and celebrate it. I mean, that's what makes winning championships and, and those different types of things matter because none of it's easy. If it's easy, it really wouldn't mean anything. And, and that's so profoundly exciting when it happens because the, the amount of struggle and the challenges and the sacrifices that go into those moments, those people, uh, they, they, they cut down nets. It's the other teams that want it to be easy and they don't want to fight those uh, battles that want to, you know, deal with uh, embrace entitlement instead that uh, just sit there and wallow in uh, mediocrity and never, you know, maximize their talent and potential. And that, that's sad to me. So um, we try to, we try to name it as much as we can around here, but obviously we need to do a better job of it and keep growing uh, as a program ourselves. Yeah. Keep growing. I think that's a benefit for everyone. If we remember, remember that. And uh, for you with uh, your daughter graduating, congratulations. I know as my son graduated last year, it's different around the house. And so there's no easy way about it, but I guess it does, it does make us stronger, but Adam, thank you again for making the time. We wish you all the best. I appreciate it. Thank you. Again, Adam Hooker makes some time at Twitter. It's coach hooker, coach hooker on Twitter. Head men's basketball coach at Sterling College. Google them, check them out, and uh, just support. And it was awesome to be able to watch online the different games and uh, see these coaches and players in action. With that, I'm out. Jay Fuller interviews, Jay Fuller interviews on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And now the Backfire podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, where you can listen at 1.5 speed if I uh, talk a little slow for you. All right. Thanks, all.